Okay. I'm number six, and this is the new Prisoner's Interviews. Man, we haven't done one of these in a while. This is going to be fun. I am here with TMP contributors Lisa Blanger and Chris Graves, and we are joined by our special guest, Carol, um, of Apothecary, uh, which I think is a really awesome name. So, but um, now, Carol, if you mind unmuting, could you uh, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself? Tell us here and uh, the rest of the audience a little bit about you. Hi, Six. Hi, everybody. Um, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Quite well. And um, <clears throat> yeah, they, they call me the Apothecary. I got that nickname. My daughter gave it to me because I kind of turned a couple of rooms of our house into an apothecary shop at one point in time. That's awesome. Um, but um, I've been a registered nurse for 41 years. Wow. Yes, I am. I'm a boomer. Okay. And um, the, before that, you know, as I was being raised, I was born and raised in a third world country, and I was raised with a lot of um, traditional medicines, um, basically kind of um, what people now would call home remedies. Um, we had access to one of the finest Department of Defense hospitals in the world, but my mother took us to a curandera, which is kind of the Spanish word for a healer. For, for pretty much everything. And what course, country was I, that? I'm sorry. What country was that? And so that was Panama. Wow. I was, I was actually born and raised on the Canal Zone, but my mother was um, Colombian. Okay. And that's how she was raised. And so, so that's how we were raised. But then my father was U.S. military. And so we had access to a great military hospital that we never used. <laughs> um, but um, when I left to go to college, I came up to the United States for college, and I went to nursing school, and I was working in a hospital. Um, I decided that nothing my mother knew was right, that there was something better, and it was um, basically the modern medicine, um, as we kind of called it back then. And uh, just jumped in both feet. I uh, did great in nursing school, thrived on it. I worked in a hospital where um, it was a brand new hospital when I started working there. So there weren't that many patients. And so the nurses had kind of adopted me. They took me under their wing. They taught me things while I was at work. And there, like I said, there weren't very many patients. Nobody was busy. So they taught me things and they let me do things that they had no business letting me do. Uh, much, you know, before the rest of my classmates were ready for those kinds of tasks. And so I really got immersed in nursing. Um, I just just soaked it up like a sponge. Um, when I graduated from nursing school, um, I had the third highest grades in the state of Texas in what back then was called the Board of Nurse, uh, the Texas uh, State Board exam. Now they call it something else. But um um, I stayed working at the same hospital that raised me, <laughs> and um, and I thrived there. I've worked in all kinds of areas of nursing. I've worked, uh, I started out labor and delivery newborn nursery, and I worked in emergency room, intensive care. I've worked orthopedics. I did pediatrics psych. I did, I've never done, like, pediatric medical, but I did pediatric psychiatry, child and adolescent. Um, I've done community health nursing, um, uh, again, postpartum kind of OB-GYN, what else have I done? I've done um, home health, hospice, I've done a lot of different types. I've, I always jokingly say I've done every nursing except cruise ships and helicopters, and that's about right. Wow. Um, the, other er the other area I never did and I was never drawn to and I never wanted to mess with was oncology. So um, I didn't do that kind of nursing either, but pretty much everything else. Now, 20 years in... Um, it was a little more than 20 years, I guess. In 2003, 
I developed a um, life-threatening illness. And um, at that point, I knew what the treatment was. I knew what the standard treatment was. And when um, my doctor diagnosed me, sent me to an endocrinologist, and the endocrinologist said, okay, let's schedule you. Um, basically, it was a surgical intervention where they either open you up here and take out your thyroid gland, or they give you radioactive iodine to drink to um, kill your thyroid gland. And there was nothing wrong with my thyroid gland, and I knew that. It was my body was attacking my thyroid gland. It was an autoimmune disease. And when faced with those options, I said, no. <laughs> no to any of it. Which is and incredibly brave. There, Which is incredibly brave, I, I might add. Especially because, like or, you mentioned, or, I know people that have been through the thyroid deal and what you described there, like the the thing that people take for granted, you know, the critical mistake we always make in, in our modern society. I'm glad you mentioned that, like the way it's referred to as modern medicine. Well, the, the modern society con convinces people. It, it, it almost coerces people. We'll talk about that maybe in a little bit. But it, it puts them in a box where the only solution they have is the box that's presented to them. And, and you were willing to step outside of that box. So go, go on. But I just I thought that was awesome. It's either incredibly brave or incredibly chicken. I'm not sure. I just didn't want my throat slit. Okay, let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. Know how I got these scars, you know, we've been there. <laughs> yeah. So I, t I took their medicine just to kind of get things under control. And I told my doctor, my primary doctor, I don't want to do this. And so I ended up having to go through four different endocrinologists before I finally found one that said, okay, I'll work with you. And... Um, um, just long story short, I wound up using a nutritionist to help me. I spent hours and hours and hours in the medical school library um, in the city where I was living. I couldn't drive. I was so debilitated. I couldn't even really walk some days. But I had a dear friend that let me borrow her mom's wheelchair. <laughs> she would take me to the medical library and kind of drop me off and come back later and get me. And then um, a medical student kind of... Um, I befriended me because saw me there every day and in this wheelchair. Shout out to all those and, people. Uh, yeah. I know, right? And I couldn't check out the books because I wasn't a student, see? but I was photocopying things like mad. And finally she said, look, just I'll check it out for you. Just take it home. Just promise me you won't be late bringing it back. I'm like, I'm here every day. <laughs> you know? uh -huh. So so that, that helps a lot. But there was nothing on the internet. Uh, Amazon, this, just to give you a time reference, the only thing that was on Amazon was books. Amazon was a bookseller. Um, there was nothing on the internet to help me. I really was had to figure this out for myself, and the nutritionist was very helpful. Now, the medication that I was taking, I could only take it for 18 months. At the end of 18 months, um, that you have to come off or you your risk of developing leukocytopenia, which is basically you have no white blood cells left, yeah. um, is extremely high. So the doctor said, I will only prescribe this for you. You've got 18 months to figure this out. And then we're scheduling. I said, okay. I was completely off that medication in 15 months, and I've been in remission ever since. Holy cow. Now, yeah. at the 18 months, uh, like you're saying that the, the treatment is sort of so drastic that it, it could have wiped out your immune system and the completely see. And that, that's the yeah. type of thing. Uh, we, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, Carol does amazing, uh, Twitter spaces. Uh, and, uh, that's one of the things that, uh, we, we've been talking about doing here on uh, the new prisoners, you know, just get the word out there. And plus I have more conversations with people. And I think you have very awesome conversations on your Twitter spaces about health and other things, Carol. So, but one of the things that, uh, was, 
you know, mentioned is like certain treatments for things. Well, there's always a, a consequence, isn't there? Like if you take intervention of any sort, it could be the modern medicine or even natural medicine. Enough of something to create one effect is enough of something to create an undesired effect or a negative effect, right? So it's a balance, uh, is it not? It is. Now, understand that nature balances itself. If you leave a jungle or a forest to its own devices, if it grows too many of this plant, it will find a way to reduce the, that plant, the, the amount of that plant that's growing. If too many bunny rabbits um, you know, are born and there's just too many rabbits in the forest, well, predators will come in and take care of that problem. I mean, nature will balance itself out if left to its own. It has always done that without our help. Thank you very much. However, when it comes to the human body, we do have the ability for the human body to completely balance and heal itself if we're doing things correctly, if we're not poisoning it. Yeah. If we're giving it everything it needs, including the amount of water and activity and da-da-da, just like in a forest or a jungle, if it has what it needs, it will balance itself out. It can heal itself. But sometimes it does need a little bit help because we tend to abuse our bodies just a little bit. So, um, so when we put a synthetic material into nature forest, jungle, human body, it doesn't matter. If you're going to start putting a bunch of chemicals in there, you're going to disrupt the balance in a way that nature will not be able to correct. Nature doesn't know what to do with that substance. A lot of our chemicals that we develop in laboratories, these synthetic molecules, um, they don't have, they really like don't have half-lives or their half-life is thousands of years long. We call them forever forever molecules. Like they don't break down. Just like they forever don't. metals. Yeah. Like there's certain metals that just never leave your system either. Yeah. So these things, they don't break down. And when we're putting them in our body, like we don't have forever. Okay. Our lifespans are limited. And um, so to put these things into our bodies that our body cannot metabolize and excrete the way that we're told they will do, then we end up creating a pro a, a additional problems. You know, trying to fix one problem, we create another problem. Well, that's a very uh, great point that you brought up uh, when you were speaking there, Carol, is that what we were told. And I was just thinking today, and this doesn't have anything to do with the past several years. It has more or less to do with the past several decades. And something I wanted to bring up to you is SSRIs. Um, more recently, it has come out that uh, for those that aren't familiar, serotonin reuptake inhibitors or SSRIs, um, those drugs, the way that they were explained to us that they worked, that you have an imbalance in your brain. And this thing is going to solve that issue if you just take this pill, right? I was listening to Fugazi a little bit earlier. I don't know if you ever heard of that band, but uh, Give Me the Cure was, was the song that popped on. And it was just perfect uh, to get me ready for this conversation. But uh, it just seems like we, we, we told generations of people uh, your generation and you know Lisa's generation, Chris and I's generation, all included, right? Like we told people that if you take these things, it's going to make you right. And look at the wreckage. Look at the devastation that was caused in relationships and and in health, but then also in people's lives and the destruction that 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 may have caused too. Like Chris Graves and I, especially, have looked into a lot of these school shootings, a lot of these uh, insane things happening. And guess what? 
you can pretty much look down the line and there's a long laundry list of all these people that not only were they on the FBI's radar, but they were also on SSRIs. And, and what, what, what could that have done? This is a Lisa question. What is the long-term liability then for a company like that, that may have known that their product, like an SSRI, didn't exactly work the way that they uh, said it did? Well, I would suggest that if you have a decent attorney, <laughs> that, that definitely is a uh, situation that if you can show that a uh, company, business, whatever, had the knowledge, and uh, yeah, that creates liability. Yeah. And I, I think too, and Carol, have you had any experience with treating anybody, as you mentioned, psychiatric stuff, but- uh, uh, treating anybody naturally for those types of things instead of SSRIs and getting them off those things? So not targeting that specifically, but I've had many clients along the way who were on SSRIs, and I just kind of tucked that away to one side as we worked on other things. But as their overall health improved, their dependency on the SSRIs to help manage their depression decreased. And that mm -hmm. happens a lot. And I'll tell people... They'll come to me and go, well, you know, I'll say, what's your goal? What's your health goal? Well, I'm 40 pounds overweight. I'm like, mm -mm, I'm not doing it. I am not going to work with you on weight loss. If you have another health goal that we can focus on, I will. But what ends up happening as they follow, you know, my direction and um, my recommendations, they wind up losing the 40 pounds anyway. And I know it's going to happen. Yeah. But if they're so focused on that, then they're not focused on some other things that I think are, are probably causing the, the uh, obesity anyway. Same thing happens with the depression. So um, serotonin is um, a substance that actually begins in the gut. So if your serotonin uh, uptake is not working well and, you know, you need, you know, the doctor thinks you need an SSRI, which by the way, there's no blood test to determine if you've got some kind of um, serotonin deficiency. That's what okay? I was going to say. How they determine no, those things there's no, by, there's no test. It's like a there's Vogue no quiz or something like that. Like something out of a ripped out of a magazine. <laughs> yeah. They go through this 10 question quiz. Okay. Yep. And um, the answers to that quiz could vary from morning to night. Okay, so um, but based on the answers to that, they'll prescribe it, and they, it, it, these things, and it's handed out like candy. Um, but there's no way to test. So, but if you truly do have a problem with your serotonin, and it's you know the reuptake is being inhibit, inhibited, or not being inhibited the way it should, then it's because you've got a problem in your gut. That's where that action should be happening. And what's interesting is you're right, There's the recent studies show that the medication is not doing what they thought it was going to be doing. Well, then how come it's working in a subset of the population? Here's something that people don't know about medications. When a medication goes through the approval process in the pharmaceutical industry and it's submitted to the FDA for approval, there's certain criteria that medication has to meet. One of the criteria is that, number one, it's not killing all the test subjects, okay? So in mo in most sure. cases, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But another criteria is that it has to prove itself more effective than a placebo. They're called placebo-controlled trials because there is a placebo arm. There's a, a cohort of patients or people 
that take the medication and, and there's another cohort that take a placebo. The control and group. And it's a double, right. And so it's a double blind placebo control because the patient doesn't know whether they're getting a placebo or the real McGill and neither does the person giving them the medication. They're both blind. Neither one knows who's getting which, the placebo or the medication. Well, all the medication has to do is beat the placebo. Now we've known for decades and decades, there's been many studies done on placebos. We have known that a little over 30% of people that take placebos get better. They respond. So you've, your drug only has to beat that 30%. That's, that's what it has to do. Okay, that's part of it. And so when you've got these SSRIs or any medication for that matter, and it gets passed, you know it beat the placebo. It's the power of the mind and the brain. I was going to say, Grace. I mean, uh, just a testimonial to um, your your background knowledge. Like, how many stories do you think that you've picked up over the years with the these patsies, these shooters, these fall guys, whoever that were all on these types of drugs, and then maybe so that was influenced to uh, maybe influence their uh, you know their actions. You know, can't can't point fingers there. Of course, we don't want a trillion dollar lawsuit or anything. Yeah, right. Brought to us Carol, by Pfizer. Carol, <laughs> you were, you were going to say something. I don't want to cut you off. Yeah. Mm. No, that's okay. Um, so you're right. Um, okay. So let's go back to the SSRIs. If you look up your SSRI drug on MedlinePlus.com, MedlinePlus.com. Oh, I'm sorry, MedlinePlus.gov. This is a government website. It's with the National Library of Medicine. I think it's a better place to look up your medication than drugs.com or WebMD or any of those. Those I've looked at them. I've compared them. I did this for years. And they're just not as accurate and, and um, comprehensive as medlineplus.gov. So I tell people, put in medlineplus, one word, .gov. Hit the space bar, then type in the name of your medicine. And it'll come up, come up at the top every time. So if you put in the name of an SSRI, any of them, and you bring it up, it's got a black box warning. They all do. Okay. So your black box warning, there you go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so your black box warning that comes up will tell you, number one, the fact that it even has a black box warning tells you this is a scary drug. That's why it's got the warning. Um, the, the medications that don't have that are less scary. They're usually... Um, not as many precautions, not as many side effects, and da-da-da. So there's fluoxetine. That's your Prozac, okay? Yep. So go down. The The black box warning is always in a red box. Isn't that fun? Well, there you go. But if you go down, mm -hmm, there it is, important warning, okay? So that's your black box warning. And if you go down and look, you're going to find in there that this medication can cause suicidal and homicidal ideation. And they all have that. So for a long time in the news reports, we were getting information about that. The family would say something or, you know, a neighbor would say something. Oh, yeah, he was depressed. He was on medication. So the family might even name the medication. We were getting that a lot. I remember a church shooting in Fort Worth, Texas when I was living there. And same thing. They got in there. They named the medication that they were on. Well, that stopped. And it stopped abruptly. Suddenly, they stopped um, reporting if that patient was under kind of psychiatric care, had been taking psychiatric medications, but even Columbine, 
they had said that 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 fellow yes. had been one one of them had been on psychiatric medications and maybe had stopped taking them. Eric okay. Harris, yeah, he was off. Thank you, Chris. Uh, thank you, Carol, actually, for bringing that up because I was going to pitch that to Chris there because that is definitely his wheelhouse. Um, well, mm-hmm. Carol, if you don't mind me asking, the Fort Worth shooting was that the one from 1999 at the church? It was about the. I think it was. That sounds about right. Yeah, okay. it was. Um, at West um, Wood something Baptist Church. Yes, exactly. Okay, that's the one. Yeah, this, uh, I don't want to say gentleman, but yeah, this man um, had a lot of issues and he was on SSRIs. And he was also being pressured by certain agencies too, but I don't want, I don't want to get bogged down in that. But they, it seems that with a lot of these shootings, whether or not you think it's a conspiracy or not, SSRIs are used uh, in the mix on a lot of these people. But if you'll notice, as you kind of move through a lot of these, it stopped. The reporting of whether they were under psychiatric care, SSRIs, it just stopped. And you can't get it from their medical professionals because of the HIPAA, right? And you can't so find them, the- too, a lot of them, the psychiatrists even. And with the HIPAA. Yeah, but they can't they can't talk to the reporters about that stuff without facing some litigation. Oh, yeah, but sometimes they don't even name who the person is sometimes in a lot of these, too. Yeah. So, so a lot of this was coming from friends and family, but they stopped reporting this. I don't know if the friends and family were giving the reporters the information. They just weren't reporting anymore because, understand, 70% of your funding to whatever network you have turned on TV is from the pharmaceutical industry. So they do control what is what comes across our news cycles. Mm-hmm. There was actually a famous lawsuit to um, one of the victims at Columbine took, uh, it starts with an L, um, Lavox. Lexapro? No, Lavox, L-U-V, starts with that. Lavoxamine? It might be, don't. Don't quote me, but they took the manufacturers of it to court, and I believe they won. Well, no, it was, but the media and the public, uh, it was like um, they settled at a court kind of thing where we didn't get to see what was disclosed and things Mm. like that. Yeah, yeah, it was Mark. Mark, uh, I'll get back to you on that, but yeah. Okay. Then they didn't talk about it afterwards, so that might have something to do with it too. Ooh, I have uh, something here. I think that lawsuit may have been dropped, but uh, I'll look for more further updates. But here, let me do a quick screen share. They coerced Mark. Uh, yeah, into, that's right. There was no. Usually, there'll be some kind of settlement so that people have to sign non-disclosure agreements, and we don't find out. That, yeah, this is what we do on the show, Mark Carol, Taylor. all the time. Yeah, when we talk about stuff, I love bringing it up on the screen for the listeners to see because that just reinforces everything that we're talking about. And so, And I attach this, this all to what's called our source list, which is available for free on Substack. So everyone listening now, right now, this, you this can go and catch up. Mark stuff. Taylor mm-hmm. is still, they ended up uh, basically drugging him, saying he was insane. And it was Luvox. Luvox. And he. Let's and look at the warning mother. on that one. This is fun. <laughs> Him and his mother were treated very badly, and I believe they're both um, under a lot of heavy medications. Uh, they can't get 
any help from anybody apparently. But don't worry, they gave ten grand to the American Cancer Society, so everything's yeah. good now, right? Yeah. yeah. Just like BP cleaning up the oil spill, everything's fine. Yeah. <laughs> We gave money to a charity. We love birds and stuff. It's all good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what this Luvox is. I've not heard. Oh, here it is. It's a fluvoxamine. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. That's, that's what comes up. Because, because it came out that Eric Harris was was on that before, but then there was conflicting information. Just like Carol was mentioning, we didn't know if it was coming from Eric's family or not. Well, and also, just to let people out there know, when you're taking stuff and you think that there's not natural things that can have an effect on your health, check this out. If you're taking fluvoxamine, do you know that if you eat grapefruit, that the grapefruit juice can increase how much fluvoxamine the body absorbs? That's pretty wild. <laughs> and apparently there's also interactions with herba mate or any type of, uh, looks like any type of stimulant, like green Green coffee, guarana, yerba mate. Those are fun energy drinks a lot. I know that. Um, melatonin, if you have trouble sleeping. Holy Can I cow. ask Carol one thing? Yeah. I This is something I could never get an answer on. It was found that Dylan Klebold, the other supposed shooter at Columbine, he had a whole bunch of St. John's wort found in his car. Could that have some kind of um, psychological effect on his you know his mind um yeah i'm not sure about him because i don't know his history but saint john's wort is used as um kind of a natural mood stabilizer okay um so yeah maybe um i just can't imagine it would have the same effect as fluvoxamine oh yeah, yeah, yeah. well it could also have do- a drug interaction too because uh, natural supplements like that, like we were just talking about, like sometimes if great if grapefruit juice can do it, then maybe St. John's wort can do something different with it as well. Maybe the doc- um, doctors don't like St. John's wort. They don't like their patients to be on it. Um, and yeah, grapefruit juice interferes with a lot of th- different types of medications. All of your statin drugs can't do grapefruit juice. It's, there's a lot of uh, medications that tell you no, no grapefruit juice. Wow. Yeah, and then when, with the drug interactions too, you mentioned before about nature regulating itself. Na- nature is also a pretty chaotic thing, and so is the human body. I mean, there's things like the paradoxical effect that people have. You know, where you can give one medication to one type of person and it has a, a completely different type of effect on them. Just like people that sort of drink and then sort of become, you know, become like more depressed or be, uh, having the alcohol be a downer. All of a sudden, the alcohol is an upper for them. There's other people that take uppers and it brings them down. It's just, there's a lot out there too when it comes to messing around with the chemistry of the human body, whether it's more of an individual science too. Well, we know on the record that they were doing experiments for years with that. Wow. But look at, look at um, a forest, look at a jungle. They look very chaotic and haphazard Mm -hmm. and random, don't they? There's an order to their chaos. And if you study the science of chaos, and I haven't really looked at it since probably the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, once you start learning about that science of chaos, you see that within chaos, there actually is order. So, um, you know, once you like, for example, no two leaves look exactly alike, yet each leaf has the same basic um, um, molecular makeup and structure 
or molecular makeup and function. Yes. The actual structure may be off just a little bit, like your thumbprint and mine are not going to be the same. Yes, yes. But there are some basic things that work the same way in every single person. Now, different things coming out from the outside inward might affect us a little bit differently based on different pathways and so forth going on in the body. But but the, the order is actually there. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things, too, uh, let me do a quick screen share for this because uh, I also found uh, this, too, I want to show you guys. Yeah, we were talking about St. John's wort. There it is, St. John's wort drug interactions with antidepressants. It says that there is a risk of serotonin syndrome with St. John's wort and antidepressants. So this is from, this is dated uh, July 27th of uh, last year. So a pretty recent one there. Um, it says St. John's wort is a dietary supplement. Yeah, we know that. Um, it goes into how it works, but under potential interaction it says it can interact with antidepressant medication. So somebody like, um, uh, w- I'm sorry, which person was it from Columbine that you mentioned, Grace, just to be clear? Uh, it was Dylan Klebold. Eric Harris was on Lovox. Uh, Okay, so Dylan Klebold was the one that had the St. John's wort, you're saying? Yeah, quite a bit in his car, they found. Yeah, and it says your doctor will likely advise you to avoid the combination. Now, this is a thing, too. Like, if you're placed on a medication like that, right, and you have the tremendous amount of faith in Western medicine, you're a young person and impressionable like that, too, and they put you on something that doesn't work for you then you're probably going to reach out and seek other solutions, right? Maybe he, you know, being a, a child of that age, you know, uh, that he probably went on the internet or asked somebody, hey, w- what, what can I take uh, out or, there that, to do this? Or if he has a handler that perhaps <laughs> they suggested it. My friend Jen, my friend Jen from Columbine, she saw the handler, the, uh, the adult shooter with Klebold, Klebold was freaking out at one time, and he was this adult, muscular, military-looking guy holding a shotgun. He was trying to calm him down, as if Dylan kind of like, you know, was breaking down mentally or whatever. That's what she described. And I wonder if they, um, I wonder if there's any studies, or it has been studied, what type of effect that happens. Because I mean, if we're getting this type of warning. Like your doctor is most likely going to tell you, hey, not, not not to take St. John's wort with your antidepressant. Then, um, well, why? <laughs> and then, what could you do with that? Could you weaponize something like that? You know, could you weaponize an interaction to affect somebody? Exactly. I, mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't want. Here we to, go. <laughs> too much detail, so I won't just because I'm not sure why Carol's stance is no, on the. Not table. necessarily looking we, for a definite, but maybe a question that we all should ask, right? You know, it's, it's possible. Yeah. 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 Brainwashing and whatnot. Well, and, and that's that goes into a little bit of the questions I wanted to bring up with Carol, too, about uh, when it comes to propaganda and brainwashing. Our entire food pyramid. Not just, not only of SSRIs turn out to be like sort of junk science, right? Um, whatever comes out, they work. But- my whole entire life, that food pyramid was around, you know, telling us to eat all the wrong things. Yeah, imagine if the the Pizza Hut buffet consisted of red meat and butter. Like what? <laughs> what? What kind of what kind of buffet experience would that be? How different would our world be? It's been a few years. Carol, I don't go to Pizza Hut anymore. No, the one in Woonsocket, okay. Rhode Island, we 
they call no, me stay away from Taco Bell now. Oh no. Oh no. I don't think he's I a like fan. Meat. I don't eat meat. <laughs> JK, JK. But Carol, I mean, uh, you you lived through that as well, the the era of the food pyramid. And when it comes to like sort of your awakening into a lot of these things too, you talked about your own personal experience with with the thyroid uh, condition and getting treatment for that. But then when it comes to overall health too, like how do you describe to people that you you care for and even the people in your own world when it comes to medicine, like, hey, the government lied to us about what what we were supposed to eat for decades. Like, what is the harm there? Like, what what could what sort of wreckage could that sort could that sort of thing do? All right, <laughs> and that's basically what I tell them. The government lied to us for decades. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I don't know. That conversation comes up in a lot of different ways, and so it's not just you know um, friends and acquaintances, and but you know it's it's definitely targeted at you know with my clients. We talk about that with every client. But even my patients, because I do still um, work in the in the medical industry, I do home visits, and so I have a lot of autonomy to really work with my patients. I can walk in their kitchens and open up their cabinets and take a look around, you know, and show them different things, pull out the stuff that they love to eat, and help help them read the labels. I mean, I, I've got a lot of leeway there. I was going to say, what is so, like your educational approach to that? Because I think that's something that we all struggle with when it comes to anything that's been a lie is trying to convince the people that bought into the lie that it is a lie. Like it's hard to do that in, in relationships. It is. It is. Especially, and you know, you have to take each person into consideration. A lot of my patients are really old. Um, not my clients. You know, my clients tend to be more younger in middle age, but my patients are old. This is how they've been eating for a long time. But a lot of times I'll take them all the way back to how did you eat when you were a child? Did you have this box of hamburger helper when you were a kid, you know, did you have this lean cuisine when you were a child? You know, I kind of start showing them and then I kind of will read the ingredients with them and, I'm, and th they get stuck. You know, the first two, three, four, five ingredients, they might be able to tell me what that is. And then they're like, ah, I can't even pronounce it. And I'll, I'll say to them, you know, you're, did you eat that? And I'll pronounce it for them. These long, crazy chemical names. I say, did you eat that when you were a child? And they just look at me, because <laughs> you've been eating it. So, um, and then I will. I'll talk to them about the food pyramid and tell them they've taken the food pyramid away. They realize that that was a bad idea. I said, how many people? You know, I'll ask them. When you were a little girl, how many people did you hear of with cancer? Or even when you were in your twenties or thirties, how many people did you know with cancer? Well, how many people do you know now with cancer that are in their twenties and thirties? And it starts hitting them, you know, and then I might, depending, I might bring out, the, you know, some some statistics about um, iatrogenic death. I might bring out statistics about um, expenditure per capita in the United States um, on health care. I might bring out numbers um, where we rank uh, compared to other countries worldwide in the health, you know, the health of, of our um, citizens. And when they kind of see this and start thinking about it, I'm like, I think we got things wrong. I think we can turn it around, but it's going to mean that you're going to change the way you eat. And I just need to know if you're willing to do that. And if you're not, that's okay. So, um, you know, I just educate people. I give them their options 
when a person comes to me as a client and they want me to help them achieve some health goals, I, um, we have a 30-minute discovery call where it's free and we just sit down together and I just kind of get an idea, a feel for what they want to do um, and their health goals. But I'm also assessing to see how serious are you. Because <laughs> if you're not serious, don't waste my time and don't waste your money. Because yeah. you've got to be serious. And because uh, it's not easy. So I'm asking people to change what they eat. That's very, very personal. What we put in our mouths, our food choices, our preferences, these are personal things. And I would argue sacred even. You know, in many yeah. cultures, what you take into you is sacred. Like the way that you deal with the, the disposal of animals and, and much religion, it has a lot to do with your intake of it. So there is a sacred thing that's violated, I think, by there too, by these chemical companies and others when they do this to us. I just wanted to talk about sacred though. There's that um, mindset though for such a long time that people have had towards the government in terms of believing that government supposedly had their, you know, the public's best interest. That it's there for the public good. Yeah. As you were speaking before, you know, you even. You know, when you were younger, had the mindset, you know, when you started out uh, going to nursing school and so forth about, you know, air quotes, modern, you know, modern medicine or modern science. And let me ask you, though, because at what point did you realize that it was kind of that there was a little bit of an illusion going on that maybe it wasn't that they're not that the government wasn't exactly being completely honest with the public. Uh, did it happen before your, your, the illness struck you in 2003? No, it was the hours and hours and hours, the days and days I spent at the medical library reading things and going, you know what, this isn't really adding up. Yeah. And this, this teaching that they're putting in these textbooks, this is, this is coming directly from the pharmaceutical industry. I began to realize that. So I started, as I would photocopy things, I would compare it to the information that we are given um, in packaging, and drug packaging that the pharmacists get. Not what they give you, but what they get. And I would go and I, and I started comparing and I'm like, it's verbatim. This was verbatim from the pharmaceutical industry. So I started digging back through history and that wasn't easy, um, but I started digging more through medical history. And it, it, it really kind of takes us back to the year 1910 and a document called the Flexner Report that was written by Andrew Flexner and his brother. I can't remember his brother's name. But it, it was basically commissioned um, by Dale Carnegie and John D. Rockefeller for the, for the Flexners to do this. And part of what that document did was it basically um, resulted in the closure of every medical school in the United States of America except three. Now, up until that time, the medical schools were um, homeopathic. And this is a word that people often get confused. They think it means holistic or natural. Well, it is holistic and it is natural, but they are little tablets. Homeopathic medicine is little tablets, or it can come in the form of a tincture. It actually describes a substance and someone who's trained to use that substance, okay, and to, to um, treat, and I will use the word cure, illness. We don't cure illnesses anymore, by the way. So um, 
that it shut all that down. And now we brought in the pharmaceutical medications, the Rockefeller medications, okay? And and that's where it goes back to is, is 1910. And once I started kind of looking at all of this, you know, just in the broader sense, I mean, of course, I was focused on trying to get myself well, but to make no mistake, but I kept coming across this stuff. And um, as time moved forward, I began seeking out more information about that, and that's kind of when the scales fell off my eyes. And it was very difficult. Um, before I was even off of the, the medication for my illness, I was already very conflicted inside about what have I been doing with my life for the last 21, 22 years? What have I, what have, what have I jumped into and devoted my entire life to? Um, thinking back on the patients that I had treated, uh, patients that had died, you know, under my care when I was working in a hospital, my emergency room staff, um, intensive care. I mean, just thinking back through everything, it was, I really had a struggle internally to make peace with myself that I had done the best that I could, given the information that I believed to be true. Well, and that's that's perfectly logical, too, because the way it works is through ignorance. Like the way that you know, people that are indoctrinated into a particular way of thought is that their their ignorance is taken advantage of. You know, they're, they're fed one thing, but they never do the deep digging to get into the next level. It, it kind of goes into a conversation that we had off air. You know, it was just about how I want people to dig further. Um, n- no pun intended, since we have digging Chris Graves with us. But um, you know, when, when it comes down to it, I, I want people to look down past the first layer of information they're being given and being critical, you know, and going into the second and third layer of questioning. Where does this lead and why is that happening? And who was behind that? And just when you start to develop that curiosity, I think that, you know, what Lisa brought up in her question too, and something that we see quite often, you know, in, in our little space here in the world at the New Prisoners is that it, it, it starts a landslide. It's like a snowball rolling down a hill. Like once you start the questioning that a lot of it, um, it, it builds up over time it, and it trains you in a way. Like once you gain that knowledge now that you know, one thing was aligned, it almost trains your brain to interpret what you're being told after that in a different way. You're not the same person as what you came into it as. It's like needing to break through that, that glass ceiling. And I, I think the, um, from all this time that we've been actually discussing on social media, you know, in spaces and so forth, and in podcasts about the uh, COVID-19 jab, that, you know, the hardest part, I guess, is breaking through that first threshold of the cognitive dissonance that people have. I, I, it's astounding to me um, the level uh, or how extensive it is that people, uh, they do not want to go down that hole, right? Well, something Getting to sometimes be you need to be jarred into it. And that's what kind of put me in a place with my own health is that you need to be jarred into it. You need to have a, a moment of self-realization where you go, hey, I need to do something different with myself. I don't feel well. I feel sick. You know, I don't, I don't feel healthy. I'm not presenting myself well to other people. I don't feel comfortable in my own skin, whatever that, might, that thing may have been. But just especially having traumatic things happen. Like I myself, I've, I've had multiple back surgeries in my life. And that was, you know, traumatic for me as a young man, not being able to walk, not being able to stand up straight. So the fact that I go out and walk every day is because I had that taken away from me. 
You know, and that's something that we all realized the past few years, I'm sure we can all attest to, is that we all had something taken away from us. You know, so right now the the, the mindset, the collective consciousness of the world is more awake and more open to those possibilities than I think than ever in history. Because across the board, across the world, everyone had something taken away from them. Everyone had something traumatic happen to them. And we, we've talked about traumatic mind, you know, trauma-based mind control here on the show and the way that that works too and the way that these uh, chemical companies used fear. Not just intimidation and coercion and, and you know, through industry and through the military, we can go and all that, but the, just the way that they use the emotion of fear in order to get well, people to the last, conform. I sent you a, a, the last link. There, yes. Kind of back, back Speaking of fear. Yeah, said. no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I appreciate you, uh, Chris. Grace. I'm going to pull these. I'm going to do a quick screen share and I'm going to show you guys what I'm doing. I'm pulling up some uh, headlines here. Uh, so this is SSRI stories. Prozac found at Wedgwood Baptist killer's house. So, uh, that's, Larry at Wedgwood. Mm-hmm. that's right. Larry Jean Ashbrook. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then just to, uh, there he goes, Larry Jean Nashbrook, for those of you searching for that. And then uh, let me pull this one up too. So just backing up some of our claims we were talking about before, how you could uh, just go down a list of these incidents, we'll call them that, um, and find that uh, there has been drugs like this. Now, I know that Joe Rogan's brought this up famously on many uh, occasions too, and uh, bringing this, but uh, this seems to be you know, not just something in popular culture. This isn't just something that uh, I think you can shrug off the fact that there's that type of thing involved in every single one of these incidents. Now, correlation doesn't equal causation, right? We can't we can't point to it and say, "Oh, that was definitely the thing that made him," you know, flip and all of a sudden start taking people's lives, folks. We're not saying that. Yeah, but- if you go down, it shows that the Aurora and Columbine headline there that's the biggest obstacle you know in the the legal arena is that causation yeah Yeah. boy i'd love to send you in for a deposition of the uh leaders of those companies lisa i would love to send you in there (laughs) jumping at the bit man (laughs) that would be fantastic uh now with these court cases folks another thing that i'll bring up here too while we're on the the topic if there are court cases out there about these things and you you out there listening um, you can actually donate to us at Subscribestar. There's uh, links in the description. And that's uh, donating to our TMP document vault where we're looking to get transcripts of these trials. So if there is transcripts available for the trials about these drugs and these topics, and we can get our hands on some of them, that way we can provide you the type of analysis that only we could do here at the New Prisoners. And, and court court filings too. Yes. So not just the transcripts, but... Uh, every, you know, I wonder why CNN isn't loading. Are, <laughs> uh, am I on their naughty list? Uh, I bet I am. <laughs> that was just an article about how they they found uh, Levoxin. Well, I, we uh, talked about what's going on in Atlanta uh, last episode, guys. I don't even know. CNN could be under attack. I mean, geez. Yeah. Well, I CNN? have it on my screen. So. Okay. All right. So it, it might be just me being on that, that list. That was the and last one. interesting that two of the... Uh, the trust fund baby and Tifa people uh, had relatives uh, working with the um, big pharma. Uh, that happens more than you would know. Yeah. 
Well, we heard a, a video from Project Veritas this past week that we'll probably be talking about on the next New Prisoners that talked about that revolving door. We've definitely brought that up before on the show about how there is a revolving door of people in and out of government and in and out of pharmaceutical companies. And they were responsible for all the things in both administrations in the past several years. But uh, just to cu uh, culminate on our point here about uh, mass shooters and antidepressants, here's another one. Graves, see if you can uh, spot where this line comes from. 37? <laughs> for our guest and uh, everyone else, uh, uh, <laughs> there is a famous line of a movie but from a, uh, the movie clerks yes 30 but i just wanted to show that i think uh carol and everyone was talking about a lot of the times the ssris play a part in a lot of shootings in 37 right here yeah. oh man they got them all listed wow this is a great article thank you chris yeah, Grace. yeah this will certainly say be really the fact that uh, it seems to be that there's a pattern here about being on SSRIs. Well, <laughs> here's the funny thing. Admitting these things. A lot of the Columbine victims normal, were normally, given SSRIs to deal with their trauma after the fact. Well, They were handing them out like candy. And from the famous uh, Operation Northwoods uh, episode, a uh, person like yourself, I mean, wasn't there also plans to put um, antidepressants in our water at one point? Yeah. yeah. Well, they use fluoride for that. And the Nazis <laughs> did that too. Yeah, I, mean, I wonder, uh, that's how about a quick question to bounce off you, Carol. What's your thoughts on fluoride? Yeah, no, poison. It's toxic. It's a neurotoxin. Wow. And um, so it's, it's the byproduct of the manufacturing of something. I can't remember what, but they didn't know what to do with it. There was no way to safely dispose of it. So they decided, well, let's just give it to the people. They put it in, our in the water. They put it in our water. And yeah. they told us, oh, yeah, it'll make your teeth nice and strong. And no change, though, <laughs> from my understanding. Oh. It makes the population more docile. More docile, it it, mess, it calcifies the pineal gland. That's what I've heard. That's yeah, why a lot of people. That's where we've lost our intuition. People have no intuition. Like, how come nobody? How come very few people, or relatively few people, knew something was wrong with this whole coronavirus narrative from Wuhan? And then, if you didn't know it then, then Italy should have tipped you off. And if you didn't know it then, you should have definitely figured it out by New York. But a lot of people just still haven't figured it out. I wonder it's, why it's, kids don't want to brush We have teeth. no into people don't have intuitions anymore. Yeah, no wonder people don't. That's a good point, Lisa. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. I always I don't thought want it was to brush weird because I didn't feel like uh, I felt like the Wuhan one was a different one than the one in Italy. But that was just me, just based on yeah. news because, articles. Um, yeah, following the news reports kind of where I was going with that, but um, read, the, read the box that your toothpaste comes in. It says, you know, if you swallow this, call, call poison control. I mean, it says right. it on the box. I'm like, what kind of any clues do you need here? When you go for your cleanings, right? Yeah. But it don't, 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 they, they give you that extra fluoride, right? Additional. Mm -hmm. Additional extra. Here, let us put this in your mouth. Well, they make you spit it out and, after. It, and it sits yeah. for what? Over a minute? Yeah. <laughs> let this sink in. <laughs> yeah. 
Ooh, this is a, a different one too. Well, here, let me uh, let me pull this over real quick. I found something that I think we should share with the audience. This last little bit here, this is from chemicalsafetyfacts.org. Fluoride-containing products should be used as described. The CDC, well, we can definitely trust them, right? Uh, recommends <laughs> that very young children, which means under the age of six, not use fluoride mouth rinse unless directed to do so by a dentist or doctor. I wonder why. I wonder what kind of effect that can have on developing people. Wow. You know, I mean, it's just, it kind of, if it does that to say, and why only six? This is the other, when they come, when they come to these conclusions, right? Especially when we're talking about the CDC, don't they just come up with arbitrary numbers to tell us? Like the six feet well, distance. Not that we've had talk about that on the show, but. I love six. Yeah. Well, Development. You know. <laughs> 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 the speech thing kind of came out of nowhere. They kind of pulled that from you know where, apparently. Yeah. This developmentally, their ability to swish and spit following directions of mom and dad as they sit there doing that's going to be better at six than it is at four. True. Or that tasty stuff because they make it tasty and oh, they yeah, just drink it. So they're probably more likely to swallow it. So that's probably where they come up with that number. Some developmental yeah, the milestone. The bubblegum flavor. Yeah, but but aren't they aren't they alluding to the fact that too much of that would be a bad thing if they did swallow it though? It's toxic. Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> so, telling you. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't think it matters danger. if you're six or seven or thirty-seven. Like it's going to be, you know, if you're drinking mouthwash, you're probably not doing yourself any favors, folks. <laughs> not that it doesn't taste great, but um, also speaking of drinking mouthwash and stuff like How that, you tell me? some yeah. Well, you, you smell minty fresh, so we we love that, Chris, but. Yeah, you might want to lay off the mouthwash, buddy. Um, what I was going to bring up here, and let me go back to the screen share real quick, is um, this. Speaking of mouthwash and stuff like that, mouthwashes and other things contain food dyes. And man, let's talk about a generational issue that we're having now and what leads to a lot of people being on other drugs uh, for ADHD and other types of uh, ailments. The food dyes in your dye food. Does it have red dye 40 in it? Yeah, that's a major question. Um, yeah, I think it says... The yellow one. There's a yellow one, too. That's real toxic. Yellow 5. Yeah, which is in Mountain Dew. Not great. <laughs> Not great for you. Now, I've heard things like that, but um, you know, when it comes to treating... Yeah, here we go. Uh, Compromising your child's focus. Conduct a, quist, a quick test at home, folks, for one week. Avoid... And I would... Yeah, maybe check this out, folks, if you're listening. Conduct a test at your own home. Now, it doesn't have to be on your kids. It could be on you, too. But for one week, avoid foods and drinks that contain U.S. certified Keller's red number 40, like Carol had brought up. Uh, blue number two. That doesn't sound very appealing <laughs> at all. <laughs> Chris, have you ever had a blue number two? All right. And yellow number five. <laughs> <laughs> Tartrazine. Oh, um, Tuesdays. <laughs> thank you. It's it's your off days because you do uh, get mad Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right? Um, but um, yeah, yellow number six, uh, which is the sunset yellow. Oh, my favorite. And as well as uh, sodium benzoate. That doesn't even sound good. Uh, do you find your child less fidgety? So would you find yourself less fidgety? Because I don't think this affects just children. I'm sure it affects them maybe more pronounced because they're developing, but who knows? But uh, also less prone to meltdowns. Yeah, how's your mood stabilization? You're, you're doing okay there? Or hormonally and other things after a week of this? And also less impulsive and Not hyperactive. Really. So, But yeah, I encourage everybody. I mean, uh, that process though, Carol, of removal, 
how important is that into like a natural path type of practice, like removing those things from people? Because that's when you really get to see, like when I remove processed sugar from my diet, my attention span, my memory recall, um, my ability to just get out of bed and be motivated, um, my mood especially, like if I mess up on my diet and eat something really tasty, say like an entire pumpkin roll or something like that around Thanksgiving. I'm a miserable bastard the next day. I'm just going to be honest. Like I, I, I'm really hard to deal with because I'm, I'm like groggy. I'm loopy. I, I'm irritable. It's, it's like I'm having like my man period or something like that after I eat sugar these days. I don't know if that's just me, but it's just like this. Do you see that when you yeah, start to rem- th- Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Um, <laughs> Chris would know we're on the same cycle, but um <laughs> Yeah, but when you when you remove that stuff from people's diets, Carol, do you see that turnaround? Do you see them like sort of their personality change after time? Yep, sure do. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, yep, yeah, yeah. No, and Lisa, <laughs> you could probably a testimonial to that too. To your own personal yep. change, you know, uh, due yes, due sorry. to your dietary changes and other things, thanks to our friend Carol. Oh well, I'll tell you what, Carol. I mean, she's my Earth Angel, man. I'm telling you. So, because I've known Carol for, uh, it's been about two years now, and I discovered Carol on Spaces and had, you know, followed her for a long time. And, um, you know, I had been having a uh, a neck issue, and which had to do with inflammation. And, you know, I uh, consulted with Carol, and she talked to me about what I needed to do uh, for an anti-inflammatory uh, regimen, I hate to use the word diet because diet always seems to be like a fad thing, right? Well, this true. is a lifestyle change, man. 100%. And I'm telling you, no, you know, you I was all great. into you, it. You look great, Lisa. I have to say, <laughs> you could tell the change. Like I can see the change episode after episode. You know, well, I, I'm telling you, it, I was so stunned. Okay, because I had an impingement on my. Um, cervical spinal cord. But even so, uh, like weeks before the surgery, having been on doing the, the um, regimen that Carol had, you know, I wanted to say prescribed, because it actually is like a prescription, but, you know, following the guidelines, I, I was amazed. I, I almost said, you know what, I'm not sure I need the surgery because the she information... Did. The inflammation yep. went down. I, I, she, comes to I, I, me, she comes to me and she goes, I don't really think I need this surgery. I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, yeah, when it comes to pain I, management. I would not have believed it. Yeah. I would not have believed it. But, you know, I was all in because, I mean, listen, when you're miserable, right? I mean, really, at what point? So well, it um, makes you desperate too. Like you accept, <laughs> you know, much of any type of help, especially with nerve pain folks. And I can attest to this, like someone that suffered from severe nerve pain, that there's a lot of things that I've experienced in life that were very painful. Nothing touches nerve pain because nothing makes oh it go God. away, you know? Ugh. And when you, when you decrease the amount of inflammation in your body and it removes that nerve pain, like w- w- what type of a sign is that, you know, to, to everybody out there? Right. And, and so I was floored. I would never have. I, I'm, I'm like, it's it, it, like almost like dawning me. I'm like, oh my god! I, I would never. I I would never have believed it had I not done it. I'm like, no one's gonna believe me. But I'm telling you, I did this. I mean, you know, um, my 
I'm still trying to convince my daughter. Um, you would think she lives with me and she, <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a generational thing or whatever. Um, but I, I think it's hard for people to, you know, you'll, it's that food thing, you know, you, you, um, I don't know. It's like you have this, this vice that, you know, through the food is that comfort thing. But Carol showed me the whole, there are actually, I mean, through good food, you can actually substitute. I mean, you can actually get just that same type of great feeling. I, really, now if I could just convince. Well, and the proper <laughs> hormonal and uh, balance too that comes from a, a good diet probably helps with pain management as well because so much of your pain receptors in your body have to do with your hormone levels. And that's why women are usually a lot tougher than us guys. Yeah, you tough guys out there think you're real tough. Well, Try squeezing a baby out. All right. I was going to say, <laughs> women are very tough when it comes. You know, like the childbirth, I, I, I couldn't even fathom it. I have childbearing hips, but I, I don't okay. plan on doing it. I have to I, say, all I can say is, uh, I'm terrible. I have to say epidural. That's all I can say. Epidural, yeah. I was not. I was not a trooper. Well, no, that's, that's all right. I mean, but uh, just before we forget. Just going back, uh, I don't know, Carol, this is more of an urban legend or not, but uh, I had heard that poor nutrition can lead to, um, like, homicidal behavior and things like that. Is there any truth to that? Like, I found some articles. Look, but... Yeah. So, again, I'm going to go back. Everything starts in the gut. Everything. Yeah. All of your, your moods. Okay, when you get nervous, where do you feel it? You don't feel it in your elbow. You feel it in your gut. Um, a lot of, you know, people and even people who are, um, I don't know, concerned, worried. Maybe there is like an intuitive thing. They, they're just like, I had this gut feeling. Yeah. Oh, and the, or, or they get like um, super embarrassed or something. Oh, my God, it, I was gut punched. You know, it's just we use that ter- those terms because they're real terms. There is a nerve. It's a giant nerve. It's the biggest that runs up and down your body called the vagal nerve. Yes, vagal. And we call it the, the gut-brain connection. When your gut is not healthy, your brain is not healthy. People, okay, so, you know, um, we've come, you know, I've heard stories about, and my story, okay, that I gave tonight. We wait until we're in these crises before we go, oh, my God, I'm doing something wrong. I need to change when we're at death's door. Why are we doing that? Do we wait until we've burned our hand before we, uh, you know, agree to not put our hand on the hot stove? Do we wait until we get hit by a car before we look both ways? You know, we, we, oh, yeah, I should probably look start looking both ways. I would say because of what just, we're taught. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. taught to let right. it go. We're taught by Western medicine to just let it go unless it's an emergency. Maybe. They don't intervene. That's right. And if you got a problem, go to the doctor and give you a pill. Mm-hmm. What can I take? What can I take? What can I take? We want to take something. Comfort and convenience. So, um, but but it creeps up on us. These serious things creep up on us. And if I had been paying attention, I could have caught these things way earlier. And I wouldn't have been at death's door when I realized I needed to make a change. Brain fog. GERD. Indigestion. Um uh, bowel problems, whether it's you know some chronic diarrhea stuff or some chronic constipation stuff, irregularity of your bowels. Why do I walk into public places and realize someone has just had a bowel movement? Why didn't they do that before they left the house? Because they have no control over their bowels. They just go when 
that hits where nature calls, we should be able to control this. And we shouldn't just be going once a day, by the way. We definitely shouldn't be skipping days. There's a lot of things about um, bowels that people just do not understand. Yeah, stop so prop dusting, unha- folks, please. I apologize. It's, I apologize. It's, for it's, public announcement. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's a truth. It, it is the God's honest truth. Okay, mm-hmm. that yeah. a good bowel movement is a happy person. Yes, yeah, they're highly underrated. You know, so um, a nice bumper sticker. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. But, but that, but that gut brain connection is real. Whatever you put in your gut is going to affect your brain. And people don't understand this. They don't realize this. The evidence that's coming out right now regarding Alzheimer's and dementia is proving that I am absolutely right when I say this. What you put in your gut affects your brain. And it's not just your gut, although that's the big deal, but even what's absorbed through your skin, what you smell through your nose. All of these things, whatever molecules enter your body are going to have an effect on your body, and a lot of this stuff crosses the the um, the blood brain barrier, yeah. and people aren't aware of this stuff. They they just don't. They're not making the connection. They just they're oblivious. And, and this is last, what is so great about what Carol does, yeah. because and I did seriously. This this is uh, my, I am faithful. Um, and thankfully, you know, when I can't make it though, Carol's faces are recorded. And it's these type of topics that she discusses every week uh, and throughout the week, you know, in other spaces and everything. But, I mean, it's this information that is life-changing. And, uh, you know, I, Carol is an earth angel. That's all I can say in helping people to help themselves. Definitely give her a follow, folks. And then on her uh, Twitter page here that it's going to be attached to the, this week's source list and also in the description um, of this video, I'm going to put this. Uh, there is a buymeacoffee.com there uh, for Carol. So if you want to, I'm going to bookmark that so I know to make sure to add it. But you can donate to Carol there and and help her uh, be a supporter there for and help her help other people like we've been talking about all evening. So, all right, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, oh, thank you. No problem. And also, uh, while we're on the, the shout out, uh, train too, I also wanted to give a quick shout out to our friend Wogpog, um, who does restreams of your Twitter spaces that we've been, we've been talking about. So if you want to find those there, we, we he's on rumble as, along with us. So you can catch us, uh, at, uh, the new prisoners on rumble. You can also find uh Wogpog that's W O G P O G all one word. And that way you can find, uh, actually the restream of today's spaces too. Uh, to I believe so. Yeah, restream. All right, awesome. Right there. Yeah, GMO Gly- plus glyphosate. That was a great conversation, Carol, too, about that stuff as well. And not to mention, not to mention, uh, give uh, Carol does private consultations, and she's licensed in thirty-seven states. So it went up to want- the first. The first of the year, it increased to forty. So it's forty states now under my compact license. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Now, Carol, um, before we wrap things up, and I kind of wanted to save this for last because I think this is one of the one of the main talking points, I guess if you could say here at the New Prisoners that we just sort of every week we run into stories because there's still being you know, people being affected by this. How did you get through the past several years in the medical community with the group think, the coercion, just the, the the treatment of certain people with certain things. Like, how, how did you manage to get through the past couple of years? Knowing what you know, especially. 
Um, God, it's my faith in Jesus Christ. That's all I can tell you guys, because it had nothing to do with me. And this whole thing with spaces, before all of this stuff, like I was literally a wallflower. If you put me in a room full of people, I would just listen and smile and not say a word. I would never speak up. I would never, um, you know, interject my own beliefs about diet and lifestyle and stuff ever. Like I was just like the wallflower. Nobody heard from me. Um, I just kind of kept to myself. But when I saw what was happening starting in Wuhan, I said, now, wait a minute. And then, I, you know, it, things started gaining steam. And I was, we were in Italy. I'm like, well, that, why are they using the ventilators? That's not right. They're going to blow people's lungs out. Why are they doing that? And then New York, remdesivir. What the hell is remdesivir? Look that up. Oh, my God. They can't give that stuff. Why are they giving this stuff? And it just kind of went from there. And at that point in time, I was actually on Facebook. I had my little Facebook account. It was strictly friends and family. That's all that I had friended on Facebook. I didn't have a bunch of strangers and acquaintances. It was very small, just my friends and my family. And I was trying to tell them and warn them and, you know, voice my my concerns. And they already knew that I was kind of a health nut. And I actually started having friends and family unfriend me. And I thought, well. Yeah, why listen to I the can't... health nut <laughs> during the health yeah, crisis? I, <laughs> you know, I, I was like, the kind of denial I, I people were in. <laughs> I didn't want to jeopardize those relationships. Well, I had this old Twitter account from that I started in 2011 so I could monitor my son because he was on Twitter and I needed to keep an eye on that boy. And he was a teenager at the time. Oh, yeah. And so good momming. Um, then. I thought, good well, I, I'm going to I'm going to go back to that old Twitter account. Like I hadn't used it. I had like eight followers and random people. I didn't know who these people were. They were following me. And the only one I was following was my son and his friends. <laughs> That's all it was for. So I went into that Twitter account and um, I started following some of the health people that I knew. And um, I started following some other, like some uh, politicians, you know, people that were policymakers. I started following accounts that I knew were involved with what was happening, news sources, you know, different news outlets. And um, and I, I didn't really, like, I wasn't gaining any traction with followers, but that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for information. But then I realized I'm not going to make any difference if nobody's reading what I'm posting, if, you know, my, my, my um, tweets. So then suddenly followers kind of became a little more important. Yes. And I noticed that once I started kind of tweeting out the truth, about what I thought was happening and forwarding videos that I was um, still kind of pulling off of Facebook and figuring out how to access these videos from doctors and nurses and stuff um, that were on the right side of truth. I knew they were right. Um, and I started really going, this is unethical. What we're doing is completely 100% goes against all everything about ethics that doctors and nurses learn. You know, you just got to that point where I was like, this is not ethical. We cannot do these things. And I started really getting more and more vocal. Well, um, at, at one point, I was banned. And then I was banned again. Yep, makes sense. And then I was banned again. Yep. <laughs> what you see now is the account that I opened this past February, February of, of um, 22. That's my most recent account. But in the meantime, um, the spring of 2021, Spaces opened. 
And um, I got swept in just the craziest way. Just people like they were so confused. And I, when I first my very first space, I'm sitting there listening, going, well, I know they mean well, but they're wrong. All of the information these people are saying are wrong. And someone said, hey, there's a nurse in here. We should ask her. And I thought, that's a good idea. Whoever that nurse is needs to go and kind of straighten these people out. And that was a and beautiful way to look at name. it. They're talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> They're talking about you. They called my name. Nice. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. This is the first time I've seen this thing. And there's people talking and the little circles have little things by them. I don't know what's happening here. Like I was completely lost. But they brought me up and started asking me questions. And that's for the first time in my life. That's when I found my voice. And I realized I could make a difference in what's happening here by educating people and it started small but there were and there was a very small group of us every single every single night i get home from work i grab something to eat and we'd open up a space or there were four or five of us and there was actually five of us but one of them wasn't really that involved and just night after night after night after night after night but the the protocols to prevent covid the protocols if you're half covid where these protocols can be found, where to find the doctors that will prescribe this stuff for you. Once you get your prescription, which pharmacies are going to fill this for you? What is quercetin? Let me tell you what quercetin is. Ivermectin, you've never heard of it? Yeah, I hadn't either for a while there. Here we go. Just educating, 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 educating. And it was every night, and I was it's just repetition, repetition. Some of these people had heard me enough times, now they could go into other spaces. And they could spread some of this information. That's what it and takes. And that's, that's what happened. And it, it just was night after night after night. And then in March of 2021, yeah, it was before Spaces opened. Because it, it opened like in May of 2021. But March of 2021, I went to the VAERS website. That's another thing. Nobody had heard. What is VAERS? They oh, had yeah. no clue. What, they didn't know that all childhood vaccines are indemnified from lawsuit. You can't sue. If your kid gets hurt from a childhood vaccine, nobody knew these things. Like I'm teaching them all this stuff. The 1986 Act. Yep. <laughs> exactly. But but yep. people didn't know this. Like they were like, what? And their kids were fully vaccinated. They're like, if I had known that, I never would have jabbed them not once. You know, just people did not know things. So, um, but in March of 2021, I went into the, and looked at the VAERS website because it's like, okay, how many injuries and deaths are we do we have so far? And I know it's grossly underreported, but I went to look. And I realized there's over a thousand deaths and they're still going. It had only been out three months and there were a thousand deaths and they were still going. I was like, what the hell is going on here? And that's when it hit me. They're never going to stop. They're not going to stop. And then they started talking about boosters and blah, blah, blah. So zero, um, zero. I don't mean to cut you off. But I, just while we're on that, on that real quick, what was your thoughts when you, uh, I don't know if you did find this out. I'm, just assuming that this isn't technically a vaccine and they had to change the definition of a vaccine because of it. And do you, do you have any thoughts on the idea that this thing could rewrite DNA? It does rewrite DNA. There's no doubt about it. So okay. that's what messenger RNA does, but we make messenger RNA in our body to go in and talk to DNA and change some things. We, we do that. It's just that we're talking about a protein talking to a protein. But what they've done with this is that they have, they have programmed this protein in such a way to tell our DNA to make the spike proteins and to never stop making them. Yeah. 
that's another thing too that most people there's a dramatic Shut misunderstanding up. of immunity and how immunity works uh we've talked about the waning of the mrna uh therapeutics if you even want to call them that um we shouldn't even refer to them as vaccines because of the efficacy that they keep over time uh, usually they've waned uh, i've read at least three or four weeks it's pretty much uh not active within your system for any sort of quote unquote protection notice how they have to use a a vap like a, a empty term like uh protection now to, to blanket over something right just to, for legal liabilities probably too there um even though they're under emergency use authorization still to this day um also i would love to do doesn't get reported either well, shedding, and, you know, that. well, and I will point out to the audience too. Our friend Chris Graves is uh, an amazing researcher, and he's been helping out our friend Donald Jeffries too on a on a book that should be out hopefully soon uh, about COVID. And this is, I'm sure, Graves a lot of the knowledge that you've picked up, and the reason why you're asking from, these types of questions is from that research, right? From March of the of 2020 onward, I've been helping Donald with that, and it's just, just so much that people have forgotten, and it'll be in that book. So. But the shedding, the protein shedding and, and things like that doesn't get reported a lot. So if you have any thoughts on the shedding, I don't mean to hijack the interview, but. No, I appreciate it, man. That's an awesome question because that's something we all want to know about. Is is the unvaxxed at, in danger of the vaxxed? Like I've heard that pointed out too before. Um, Not in permanent danger and that shedding thing it's it has to do with the viral load on that spike protein how much spike protein is there happens um more soon after a booster um it will wane um I, and it's and the unvaxed you know you're, you're going to be able to clear that out a lot easier than a vax but i'm going to get back to what i was saying oh, sorry. that's okay oh, no so um but as we went forward, I started hosting spaces for the nurses that were getting fired for not taking the vaccines. And that was the first time I was really able to get the nurses involved. They were hanging back. They didn't want to speak up. They were scared. I was DMing them all over the place. And they're like, no, I can't. If I say anything, I'll get fired. I'm like, you're already fired. You know, what are you even talking about? But still, they were hesitant and they were scared. So, um, uh you know, I did not get fired. I thought I probably might um, for not, you know, taking the injections, but I put in my religious exemption and I was fine. I've never had COVID. I've treated a lot of COVID patients in their homes with them and their families. Everybody's, nobody's got a mask on because that didn't work anyway, right? But I've gone into these people's Thank homes. You. We're, Thank not, you we're not in a... We're not in a clean, sterile environment of a hospital, which isn't so clean or sterile, by the way. But, you know, and, and so I'm exposed to this a lot and, and never got sick. I never got sick a day. I haven't missed one day of work since the pandemic started. Um, as a matter of fact, for a while there, I was working 14 and 16 hours a day when the lockdowns, because they furloughed all the PRN and part-time staff, and I had to pick up their caseloads as well. So... I, that's why I say, you know, God is the one that that has gotten me through all of this. Because what are the odds? The, there's no way. Because your immune system would have been just by working so much. It should have been your immune system wouldn't have been as as sharp as it could be, right? So that's even more like 
an example. You can you can blame my immune system. You can say, you know, well, Carol, you took the protocol, and that's another story. No, no, I mean, I mean, I mean the fact that your immune system, because of working so, I was so exposed, I yeah, was exposed, exposed so many times. You didn't get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, never got it. Likelihood. Yeah, my doctor wants me to go get the T cell for the the Corona, the SARS CoV one, uh, SARS CoV two T cell test, and I haven't done it yet. I might do it just out of curiosity, but um, but I'm telling you. And all of the bullets that I've dodged this whole way, I'm telling you, it's, it was God and it was me being on my knees and asking, what do I do now? They're not going to stop these jabs. What do you want me to do now? And that's when Twitter spaces fell down. Just teach the people. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, my people perish for lack of knowledge. And I was directed to that and I've used that as my guiding light is that people are dying because they don't know. And now we've got all these vaccine injured. And so kind of, you know, coronavirus, the COVID thing, that's kind of dying off a little, the Omicron, that wasn't so serious. And I'm like, okay, well, that's it. Am I done? Can I please be done now? I am exhausted. And the answer was no, we have vaccine injured that need help. So that's where the space that I'm in now is um, trying to help the vaccine injured. So my work's not done. I figure that at this rate, it'll probably be done, you know, after I'm six foot under. (laughs) That's how it's looking. (laughs) Well, that's, that's how it feels sometimes, you know, with this type of work. Like when you're trying to spread the word about something where it seems like the rest of the world doesn't want the word to be spread. You know, when you talk about Twitter and the suppression that we've all experienced on there, talks about getting booted from accounts and then major, major companies like uh, just this past week with YouTube censoring Project Veritas. I mean, we, we can go into a whole special about Project Veritas and other organizations, um, and we, we probably will in the near future, folks, so be on the look for that. But what I was going to say is like when you're someone that brings up these anomalies and you try and spread it even around your own personal circle, that you can be censored that way. It's it's not it's not enough. Like if you're a a public speaker or influencer of any sort, it's the effect that you can even have on your own friends and family. You can't even if you believe that they're being poisoned by something that's being sold to them under under the guise that it, it does something different than what it actually does too, which we've exemplified over and over again throughout this conversation. You know, throughout you know, SSRIs and different things, the way things have been presented to us is safe, and then turns out it's not safe later. And they just throw up their hands and go, whoops, you know, what's and, and the ultimate price that, that they could pay is what a decision in civil court that the people never get paid on. Out, right. Right. Lisa, you know, that they'll get some kind of civil court decision um, that'll say, oh, yeah, you got a bajillion dollars, but uh, none of that money is ever delivered. And there's really and when we talk about, you know, the intervention of, of God into this, too, there is nothing, nothing out there that can ever bring justice to those people other than people like us making sure that it doesn't happen again. You know, when you talk about putting bodies in the ground from the type of product that was pushed on us over these past two years, um, and there's people out there too. I'll, I'll do a quick screen share to give a shout out to another creator out there that I know that tirelessly works on stuff like this. Uh, this is the Kurgan report that you can find on BitChute. Uh, this person does videos like this where they go through the VARES reports because you brought that up earlier. Like most people didn't know what the heck VARES was. And how many of these stories you can go on and on and on about people dying suddenly and, and, and the various, and, and he reads them that this one, an 18 year old in perfect health now dead. How often does that happen? And, and, is, and the thing is like with these various reports is that that's only a fraction. It's only a fraction of the cases out there. 
And all the athletes too over the last couple of years now. Well, yeah. Just uh, dropped dead. Yeah. Like Damar Hamlin that, that fell over the other day, who is alive, but also managed to trademark uh, three different things while in the hospital bed. That's a little curious story. We'll talk about all maybe the on other the next uh, prisoners. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you just automatically fall into a couple trademarks there too over your condition. Um, You know how much? And again, like when you watch something like that, like Grace, you and other people brought up, and Lisa too. How much of what we're seeing is real when it comes to these examples? You know, like theirs. If if theirs is only a fraction, how many other uh, examples are out there? But then also the examples that they use to sort of deflate our arguments, right, Chris? Like you found yeah. something recently in your own research where you believe that that has been used to discredit and smear people like us, you know, so it happens. And I'm sure, Carol, you've had people that you per- they'll attack you personally, they'll attack you with what, what uh, nationality or group you are, they'll attack you being a woman, like uh, they'll, they'll challenge your authenticity any, any single place that they can, but they don't demonstrate their arguments, do they? That's the one thing that about these tricksters that I've noticed is debunked, that and they don't prove that it's debunked. Yeah, and and their debunks are all opinions according to them too when put on the stand. <laughs> there was actually a group on Twitter whose main object this this group's objective and they had an account their objective was to remove the licenses from every medical professional who um, was opposed to the jabs and who was, you know, were opposed to remdesivir, anything that went against the coronavirus narrative, they were on a mission to get their licenses revoked, and they were successful a few times. So people ask me, well, why don't you just use your real name? Look, there's, if they're going to get my license, they're going to get my license, but I'm not going to hand it to them on a silver platter. There's a few things I can do to try to protect myself a little bit. I'm not going to dox myself so that this group can come in and you know make things harder on me than they already are. I've had my life threatened. Um, I've had my you know people saying you're a terrible nurse. I'm going to make sure that you lose your license. Well, they didn't have any way to do that, of course. But just things like that, you know, um, a, lot, a lot of that kind of stuff. I, I had I had one yesterday. I just okay. Here we go again. Yesterday, and it's hard. you know, it's it, yeah. It's really it's it it can't. If I let it be discouraging, it could be. And at first, it was. I didn't know what to make of this. These people were nasty. I didn't have that with my friends and family on Facebook. They weren't nasty. They just unfriended me. They <laughs> but they weren't nasty to me. These people were being mean, and I didn't know what to do. And and um, I had made a kind of a friend through tweets, and I DM'd them. I said, "This is what's happening. I don't know what to do. Do I just block them?" And they were like, "Look, you need you need to get your some thick skin with the stuff that you're saying. They're going to come after you with you know all kinds of terrible things. They're going to say you're going to have to get thick skin." So I was like, "Okay." Okay, I'll start praying for thick skin. <laughs> I mean, and I have. I've had just had to toughen up. That's all there's to it. Wow. Yeah, and I've even heard recent rumors too that solace in the the fact that you're trying to help people, and other people can. It's just words, you know what I mean? Just yeah. Words. Oh, I got I got a, a letter from the American Nurses Association wow. that any if I said anything that was not on the CDC. Or FDA website in relation to this coronavirus COVID thing that I would be under investigation with the Texas Board of Nursing. And I said, oh. well, okay, I guess I'll be under investigation with the Texas Board of Nursing. Yeah. So I'm not shutting up. I mean, I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to shut up. You're not alone. And I'd already, 
there's a lot of doctors in Canada that did the same thing. They didn't shut up. Absolutely. And you know, I, I know that with California, what they're trying to do to remove licenses of people out there is just, it's gotta be, and especially in such a populous area, like people don't think about the consequences of that. Like when you talk about the people that were uh, frontline uh, folks that were looked at as heroes during the beginning of the pandemic and then lost their jobs and were kicked out of institutions that they had served for decades um, and given God knows what of their lives too. Um, then then AFLDS. Yeah. And then now, now look at the, we're reaping the whirlwind of that, aren't we? And uh, look at the death numbers that have been climbing, the excess deaths that are happening right now. And Lisa, you, your friend, uh, John Boudin, uh, pointed out what's going on with excess deaths and these shots too. I'd love to have him on for a TMP interview sometime soon. We'll have He's to good. Him. And what do you think of SADS too? SADS popping up now. Oh yeah, the, the SAD stuff and like everything else. But here's here's something that we talked about briefly that I wanted to drag onto the screen because I, I think it's important. Um, check this out, guys. I heard this uh, rumor from my friend John Henry. Uh, shout out to John Henry. I hope he's listening. Um, and then this is, uh, yeah, these doctors pushed masking COVID lockdowns on Twitter. Turns out they don't exist. Exactly. What the heck? It says uh, last month, Dr. Robert Honeyman lost their sister to COVID. They wrote about it on Twitter and received dozens of condolences, over 4,000 retweets and 43,000 likes. Wonder how they got whitelisted, right? Uh, because that we would never get such interaction on Twitter, no matter what. I know that. But it says, exactly one month later, on December 12th, Honeyman wrote that another tragedy had befallen their family, saying, sad to announce that my husband has entered a coma after being in a hospital with COVID. The doctor is unsure if he will come out, they tweeted. This year has been the toughest of my life, losing my sister to this virus. Listen to this emotional plea. It says, wow. this is the first time in my life I don't get to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Again, the condolences and well wishes rolled in, it says. But there was a problem. Honeyman wasn't real. <laughs> wow. So the influence, the, the appeal to emotion, the fear-mongering, this entire well, several years. To be, uh, locked up. Yeah. I mean, there should be some there should be some type of consequence, folks. And we're not talking about like we don't talk about violent consequences. No, we're, no, I mean we're talking about yeah, we're yeah. talking about actual real life consequences to these people. And Lisa, yeah, like I was bringing up before, like bringing to these people in the civil court, you know, praying and hoping that the system that caused this will fix this problem. This is something that we need to bring to people's attention because it's in the court of public opinion that these people need to be tried because there is no other court at this point. Well, how many other examples? Case. How many other uh, versions of that? Because that can't be the only one. Truth. It was just made up in other regions. It that has to be. Well, it's what we talked about with the snowball before. If they were that wrong on this, folks. If they were that bad on this. If you're starting to realize that the past several years of lies, you know, have have dramatically affected your life, have cost lives in your family. Well, what else could they have been up to? You know, that's, yeah. that's something too. And I also wanted to share this because we talked briefly uh, before about systems and the management of systems when it comes to nature. Uh, Carol, I would strongly recommend this to you because I found it really fascinating. Um, this is a documentary by, I'd, I'd say my favorite documentary maker. Uh, his name's Adam Curtis. Uh, he does work with the BBC. But the, the title of the documentary is All Watched Over by Machines of Loving Grace. And it talks about technology uh, and sort of techno uh, technocracists, I guess you could call them that, people trying to use technology to control uh, society and control nature and sort of what they ran into with trying to uh, measure 
and, and take measurements of nature especially so but i think that's that's an awesome documentary just to throw out there for our audience to take in too but um carol i wanted to wrap things up for you because i don't want to keep you too long tonight but um i i wanted to throw out there uh just for the contributors if you had any additional questions for carol while we have her here with us I have one. I actually have one more. Um, I don't know if she can speak to this, but I had read a report that uh, with cancer being on the rise, could the I don't want to say I don't want to use the word vaccine, but for lack of a better term, these vaccines have something to do with shutting down the, the immune system's ability to fight these cancers. In your opinion, like uh, you know, I know it might. The illegal thing you can't talk about or so i don't know what i talk about anything i want to talk about i say whatever i want to say okay yeah <laughs> I, no, I, I, just, I have I, no fear i don't know that. about the legality sorry yeah, yeah appreciate that though thank you carol i can't share confidential patient information that's where i draw the line but other than that i'm respect good to that. go yeah respect so um so um, what ha yeah, the, what happens with the and and it it happens more. The more injections you get, the worse the problem becomes. That your immune system becomes impaired. Okay, and it's not it's not really not just these injections. Antibody the, dependent the enhancement, I think, is something like that. Am I correct in that? Antibody dependent enhancement is that what it's called? So that is one example. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's going to interfere with your immune system, period. And then to what degree it interferes depends on a lot of things. The person, like we were talking, a lot of things just depend on the person and their makeup. But what they're finding is the more injections that someone gets, the more impact there is on the immune system. So um, what happens, like your immune you've got cancer, by the way, if you didn't know, you've got cancer. Everybody's got cancer. Okay, we just all do. But our body just says, oh, this stuff doesn't belong here. This is no good. Let's get rid of it. And it just does when you're nice and healthy and you have a good, strong immune system. Now, some cancers can bypass the immune system and they can get really out of hand very, very quickly. It's just too much for the immune system. But for the most part, you have you'll have cancers and never know unless you just happen to have your blood drawn on that day and not two weeks later when it wouldn't have shown up in your blood work, okay? Because wow. your body just comes in and it cleans stuff up a lot of times. But when when your your immune system can't do its job anymore, then you're going to get these cancers. And what we're calling a lot of this stuff, especially if you've already had a cancer and you're and you've, you're in remission and your body's been kind of keeping it at bay, keeping it knocked down, and your doctor can't find it because your body's just keeping it, you know, at a good level and your 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 the diagnosis diagnostic testing and stuff doesn't pick it up but when we did when we basically tie up our immune systems and throw them in a closet and shut the door and lock it and it, it can't do its job then these cancers will emerge and with it with if you've had a previous cancer it can emerge with a vengeance and we call those turbo cancers i have seen them come up so fast that I was like, what in the world just happened? It's, it's, it's incredible what you'll see in some of these cases. And I hear a lot of um, case reviews from other doctors because I do meet with some of these doctors either in Twitter spaces and we have a signal group. Some of the frontline doctors, some of the you know heroes of the day 
will come in there and we'll talk about, or we we can ask them questions and stuff. And they're talking about this too, that yeah, these turbo cancers, it's just absolutely incredible how fast and how aggressive. And there's, you know, a lot of times there's not anything anybody can do. By the time they're detected, they're already at stage three or four and they can't stop it. May I propose, uh, Chris, maybe we could send uh, Carol the information of one of your idol, Dave McGowan's cancer case. Maybe have her. Well, her that, goes into, that. that goes into uh, cancers being manufactured as weapons. Like, supposedly they did that to try to off uh, Fidel Castro in the 60s and Jack Ruby. A lot of people think uh, he was injected with that stuff that we can't really prove, but yeah, a researcher named Dave McGowan got a pretty aggressive uh, cancer and then was dead within six months. But it's hard to really prove that stuff, too, because um, he was a smoker as well. So it's kind of hard to prove. But people who were in his life said there was a lot of weird shadiness going on uh, in the, those last months. So do you, have you I mean, I don't know. That I don't want to put you on the spot. Have you come across anything like that with the, the cancer weapon type thing like in the 60s? And Oh, um, well, I wasn't a nurse. I was a child in the 60s. No, I mean right now. No, I mean. In your studies. In your studies, have you come across anything like that? I was in the 80s. Have you come across that kind of research throughout the years is what I no, not about like intentionally giving okay. somebody cancer, but you need to understand something about not these recent injections, but about the things that before coronavirus that we called vaccines is that a lot of these, when they're doing the development, they're using an immortal cell line. And by immortal, I mean, they take, they've taken these fetal cells from back in the 19... 19- yep. Oh, late 1950s, early 1960s, I can't remember, but they were fetal cell lines from a mother um, who had died in child, uh, and the fetus died, mother had cancer, and they took um, the fetus's cells and they they were using them, you know, for for, um, vaccine development. Because they have to grow it on some kind of medium, right? They also use monkey kidney cells. But this fetus... And it's got a name. It's M something. They gave it a, a, a numerical name. But they um, they kept replicating and replicating and replicating. And they're still using them and replicating and replicating. Well, they've replicated these cells so many times. The cells are now immortal. You can't. They, they, they won't die. This is what Carol's so, talking about, folks. Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks. That's it. This is go. the cell line that they keep using. And actually, my... I'm such a nerd. Uh, my favorite documentary maker, uh, Adam Curtis, also made a documentary about that. It's called The Way of All Flesh. Um, it has to do with that famous cell line and how it's, it like she's describing, it's an immortal cell line. It seems to keep reproducing itself all these years right. later. So It has certain so biomarkers ha- that are different than the regular biomarkers of probably most exactly. people. Exactly. <laughs> so let's go back to cancer in general, okay? With cancer, you have a mother cell that's reproducing, and everything that comes off of that mother cell is considered a daughter cell. So when you get your whatever treatment they're going to give you, chemotherapy, radiation, whatever, and they kill off all those daughter cells, and they do your testing, and they can't find any traces of the cancer, um, 
you know, when they say, okay, you're in remission, you know, go five years in remission and now you're cured, right? But what happens is they did not kill the mother cells. The mother cells are immortal. Well, how in the world did that happen? So that's that's something that people, and then, and then that later on, it's like, well, my cancer is back. Your cancer never went away. Those mother cells have been sitting there waiting for their opportunity, and you've been feeding them sugar, which cancer is an obligate glucose metabolizer. It must have sugar to survive. You've been stressed out, which depletes the oxygen in your tissues. Cancer Cancer cannot thrive in oxygen. It must have an anoxic state in order to thrive. You're doing all of these things. You're, you're continuing to put toxins into your body and onto your body on a regular basis. And, yeah, it never went away. It's just waiting for its opportunity. And here's our perfect storm. It came. It's, it's, here it is. So, folks, so, eating trash so, over the past several years and then wearing a mask and not getting as much oxygen in your system, and we're looking at the increases of cancers now? Hmm. Now, before the 1900s, again, I know you you weren't alive back then, so I just want full disclosure. I might. You don't know. I might have been. Yeah, there you, you go. See? Yeah, you got the same thing that Henry Kissinger had, that life extension. Reincarnation, man. Uh, no. no, it's me and Keith Richards. We got to go Richards on. Yeah, Keith. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, have you come across the idea um, that cancer wasn't really a thing? prior to like a hundred years ago, like when they dug up like corpses from other eras, am I going way too sci-fi with that? No. And, and what we have is we have the journals of physicians. They did keep records on their patients, you know, and um, we do have descriptions of these things that were cancer. It was cancer. There's no doubt about it, but it was so rare. Like it just wasn't. Yeah. Now it's just like they're building ever since this Everywhere. coronavirus thing. These giant cancer centers are springing up next to all these hospitals everywhere. Gee, giant yeah, we, cancer centers. I suppose we couldn't be talking about GMOs or anything, right? <laughs> That's what we talked about in my space this morning was the GMOs. I'm telling you guys, we live in a very toxic world and our bodies are responding with illnesses, including cancer. Well, it's now, a compound effect, too. Carol, that you bring up, yeah, it's it compound. Is. Oh yeah, it's a it's a cumulative, cumulative effect, yes. and we and we never stop. And someone asked me in my space this, this morning, well, how do I detox? Well, step number one, quit putting the toxins in your body. Right. You know, and so that's when when I get a client, that's the first thing we do. We got to clean up your diet. We got to clean up your cosmetics. We got to clean up your cleaning products in your house. We have to find out other areas in your life where toxic where you're being exposed to toxics. Um, chemicals and toxic substances. One of the most common ones is these Glade plugins. These things that women plug in to frou frou up their house. Oh, I hate those things. They so give much. me a headache. My mother uses those. Yeah. And and then colognes. That's another really bad one. But there's a much better thing that you can use. It actually smells better, and it's going to help cure you. It will actually help your body. Where the Glade plugin doesn't help your body, not one iota. It's harming your body. So there's always when I take when I encourage something somebody to remove something from their life, I give them an alternative. Let's try this instead. This can actually help you, so you're not using this that's hurting you. You know, Carol even did this awesome space dedicated to essential oils. <laughs> oh, that I love. Yeah, I'm real yeah. big. 
I'm real big on that. People don't realize the power of how what powerful medicine that stuff is. I have I have actually healed things you wouldn't believe. Wouldn't believe it. Doctors couldn't believe it because they couldn't do anything. They were stuck. And I was like, Can I try? <laughs> so now, I- olive oil does a lot of good too, right? So yeah, and so essential oils. Olive oil is a fatty oil. That's in a whole different category. Essential oils are different, but yeah, olive oil is good. Get your extra virgin olive oil. That's definitely what you want to use to cook with that, or coconut oil. Avocado oil is good, except avocado oil is really expensive. Yes, it is. So I would stick with um, coconut oil, olive oil. Make sure it's it's you're getting it from a clean source. Read your labels carefully because there are some out there in the olive oils that are adulterated with canola oil. Canola oil is poisonous. Yeah, you don't want the canola guys. That's it's a it's a Frankenstein oil. It's it's not even it's kinda of like broccoli. Broccoli's a lie. Did you know that, Carol? The broccoli is actually a cabbage. Our own John Henry taught taught us that. And I was yeah. I was blown away. That's <laughs> true. And and it's still considered a green leafy vegetable because it's a cabbage. And so is cauliflower. We consider that a green leafy vegetable because it does have the, the phytonutrients of a green leafy vegetable. Doesn't look green, doesn't look leafy, but there you go. Now, uh, maybe to wrap things up here, um, I am a huge fan of red meat. I think that you know my diet consisting a lot of, of red meat is my protein source. I do mess with some fish every now and then, and I'm more of a dark meat on the chicken guy. I don't know if that has something to do with it, too. But just overall, I think that, uh, especially like from what I've read about the saturated fat thing, that, oh, you got to worry about these, you got to worry about your cholesterol levels and all that. The dietary, the, can you explain just for our audience, the misnomer there when it comes to cholesterol and taking in dietary cholesterol versus the body's actual production of cholesterol? Because I'm sure you can explain it a hell of a lot better than I can. That's the whole space, man. It probably can be. It probably can be. That's what's, what's so awesome. What's the meaning of uh, our purpose here, Carol, on earth? Well, just like, because it, it's used to push these statin. You brought up statin drugs before, and immediately that's where my mind goes. Like, when I tell people that I eat a lot of red meat, they're like, well, you, sh- you check your cholesterol levels. You're probably going to die if you're eating that red meat, you know? And it's just like, the, meanwhile, they're they're eating an entire box of Cheez-Its. So, like, just. Yeah, Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. <laughs> but go, uh, Carol, I'm sorry, go. <laughs> So everything you learned about cholesterol is a lie. Thank you. Erase it all from your memory. In March, I'm doing a three-part series on cholesterol. I'm hoping to get Dr. Asim Malhotra in there. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm working on that. I've heard I his know, name, yeah. I know. Well, yeah, so he was, he, I followed him, like, I mean, I was like on Velcro with him, just nice. every word he said, you know, until the pandemic came in and he was all pro-jab. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like I want a divorce, please. It was like a never and meet then, your heroes thing. Yeah, we've had that. Yeah, yeah. And then his da- dad died of a vaccine injury, and he yeah. woke up, and now he is he's on the right side of things. So I'm following him again. I love him again. That's why I've heard that name. And he's, he's, yeah. he's yeah he's kind of my cardio crush, my cardiac crush when it comes to the field of cardiac medicine. So um, I'm going to try to get him in, into one of the spaces, if it's even just for a little while. But I'm going to be doing a three-part series in March, and I just recommend that people come to that. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to unlearn. First of all, we're going to look at the studies that brought about the lies and what lies those studies were. And we're going to take you all the way to what we know today about it. And um, we'll move quickly, and there'll be time for questions. And yeah, you have to just erase everything you've ever heard about cholesterol. Well, like the Jackson Five, we'll be there because that's going to be an awesome conversation. Um, hmm. I can't yeah, wait I for that. So. 
Yeah, but that that's great. I'm glad I brought it up then because you you are uh, working on a, a a project there, and uh, I hope that if we can lend you any help there by providing anything uh, to get the word out to, let us know. Uh, we'd love to promote. Well, that you can just people there. Yeah, um, just retweet. You know, if, yeah. if you happen to see it, just retweet for me. I'm the king of retweets. Believe me. Oh yeah, you're talking <laughs> to the right guys. Mm-hmm. You're talking to the right guys there. But guys, uh, any any final thoughts before we wrap up? Anything that people want to add? Anything that people want to let people know about? Stuff that they got coming up? Things of that nature? Lisa, you go for it. (laughs) Well, I'm just psyched that we were able to get this great lady uh, on this program. And I'm hoping for many more episodes because she is a wealth of knowledge. So I'm just like... Are you kidding? She's, you know, she's my my go-to. She's my my uh, holy health guru. Heck yeah. And Graves, what what you got going on coming up here, buddy? You got some announcements to make on some appearances, don't you? Uh, yeah, I just want to say thank you, Carol, for uh, taking the time and uh, enlightening me. Because I'll be honest, full disclosure, I, I've I've heard of you before, but I I've got so many things going on that I haven't been able to check out your spaces yet but that that's going to change from here on in and uh yeah i'll be on uh, union of the unwanted the uh san tripoli show there uh tomorrow at seven so and then the tigers then immediately after that with angry tiger and uh i believe mr six oh yes yeah we'll be taping i think he'll have that on wednesday guys so definitely look for that uh tiger's oh. den Chris is definitely definitely going to be calling you up, Carol, because he's been on fire and he so he needs to you know keep his strength up there. So yeah, we all look out for each other here at the New Prisoners, and that's one of the things about our community. So I appreciate everybody tuning in and checking this out, and I hope it gives you the type of knowledge, or at least uh, kicks you in the butt a little bit to uh, get a little bit more involved in your health. And I think that when we talk about self empowerment and, and liberating uh, our people when it comes to building parallel economies. And when it comes to, you know, just having self-reliance uh, and self-determination, it all begins with yourself. It all begins with yourself. You know, so wake up every day, get some sunlight in your eyes, go out and get some fresh air, you know, take in good food, exercise, and then pass that on to other people. Because we work by example, us humans. Like, that's the beautiful thing about what people like Carol do is because she was an unwilling, unwilling example. At first, and then spurred to sort of take the stage, kind of like Janice Joplin was by her friends, you know. And uh, she's a healthy Janice Joplin, uh, our Carol, you know. But uh, she can definitely belt out the truth, just like Janice delivered it back in the day. So um, we want to um, see you guys uh, listening out there on all of Carol's uh, upcoming spaces about health. Definitely check out that one about the cholesterol coming up because I'm super interested in that. But uh, Carol, anything finally to add uh, for our audience before uh, we wrap things up for the evening? Take control of your health or those that profit from your illness will. Yeah, that, that's, that's actually, that should be Goldman Sachs' new slogan, folks. So <laughs> we'll, we'll end on that. But uh, thank you uh, all for being here. Thank you, Carol, again for being here. Uh, TMP contributors, you know we love you guys. But until we meet again, and until we are free, we are the new prisoners. Thank you for listening to the new prisoners. Let us know what you think about this week's topics 
on our Minds page and Substack, or leave a comment under our video on BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, and Brideon. You can also risk being shadow banned, suspended, or permanently banned on Twitter and Instagram with us, or speak freely with us on Gab. Please feel free to share your own sources with us, and remember to share the information we provided you here. You never know what kind of difference it could make. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, email the new prisoner number six at protonmail.com. Provide a brief description of the topic or topics that you would like to discuss, and a screener will contact you. You can always choose to appear anonymously. And you can also donate to the new prisoners through anchor.fm slash the new prisoner number six slash support. There, you can make a monthly donation of $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99. We also have a Subscribe Star, where you can make a one-time or recurring contribution at subscribestar.com slash the hyphen new hyphen prisoners. Or you could donate US dollars and crypto to us on Mines and Odyssey. All donations go towards studio upgrades to make more content and advertising to spread the word about the show. Every amount is appreciated. Demand answers, not orders. We are the new prisoners.